Most of us, I have presume, have wondered what it would be like to be a millionaire. There are many, many millionaires now because there are more, some billionaires. But perhaps you wondered what it would be like to uh, win the Publishers Clearinghouse Contest. Or, and even here in North Carolina, there's the educational lottery that is up to $40 million right now. When I was a boy, I would dream of finding treasures or finding coins. I even wrote an imaginary story uh, titled, Why My Name is Rich. The story goes, I was visiting my aunt and uh, took me upstairs to the bedroom, the guest bedroom, and I put my hat on a a closet hook, and the hook turned and opened up the secret passage down to the kitchen and then down into the basement where all this treasure was, and that's why my name is Rich. But anyway, I don't know if many of you have discovered or dreamed to be rich or thinking of discovering treasure. You turn to Matthew, the 13th chapter, and you'll find out that Jesus talked about treasure and our perspective on treasure. Matthew, the 13th chapter... And verse 44, Matthew 13 and verse 44. It's called the parable of the hidden treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. For joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the kingdom of heaven is pictured as hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. What is your greatest treasure? What do you value as your physical possessions? And what do you value most in life? What are your greatest priorities, your goals, your dreams? What are your most valuable treasures? Jesus Christ gave this parable of the hidden treasure to show us where our perspectives and our priorities should be. Treasure hunters are still willing to sacrifice all they have, as the man here in this parable did, to buy the field with a hidden treasure. How many of you have heard of the mystery of Oak Island? Can I see your hands? Oh, good. Quite a few of you. Looks like about... Of uh, 47.8%, quite a large number of you. Uh, treasure hunters are still digging at Oak Island off the coast of Nova Scotia in Canada. In fact, the History Channel has uh, a series. Now, this is the sixth season on the curse of Oak Island. It's on Tuesday night at 9 o'clock on the uh, History Channel every Tuesday night. I personally became interested uh, in Oak Island in January 1965. That was more than, well, be 54 years this January when the first article appeared in the Reader's Digest magazine. The story goes that in 1795, 16-year-old Daniel McGinnis was exploring on the island. He found this oak tree with a, a tackle and block under it, and underneath was a depression. He brought some friends over, and they started digging, and they found a plank, 
every 10 feet. Well, they gave up. The island was supposed to be haunted, and they didn't come back till some years later when they were older, and they kept digging with uh, down to the 90-foot level. And with the next day they came back, and it was all flooded. So since that time, many have gone back and uh, invested many millions of dollars, frankly. And uh, they did find, some time years later, a stone with mysterious marking on it. Cryptologists later translated the markings to mean, quote, 10 feet below or 10 million pounds buried. But that translation was uh, contested in 1971 by Professor Wilhelm at the University of Michigan. He claimed that this kind of cryptology was written in 1563 by one Giovanni Battista Porta. Uh, Using Porta's cipher disks, he translated the message in Spanish to read, At 80, guide maize and millet into the drain, signed F. In other words, the millet would stop the flooding of the money pit, as they called it. Whoever designed the money pit, they used amazing engineering techniques. So we're talking about when was this first buried? Was it in the 1500s or even earlier? Uh, there are flood tunnels that come out from the island, and particularly from Smith's Cove. And right now, uh, the uh, Lagina brothers, who have 50% of the ownership, and Dan Blankenship, the other 50% of the ownership, have invested millions of dollars, and they right now are building a coffer dam 500 feet long to cut off Smith's Coves in order to find the flood tunnels that were tunneled all the way from the coast of the island into the money pit. So it's an amazing uh, operation. So it's been 223 years uh, of digging. And Dan Blankenship was one that... Uh, uh, when he read the same article I did, went uh, invested in Oak Island. And uh, over the years, uh, he also found uh, a television camera down into the, into the money pit and said he saw a treasure chest and said, said he saw a hand, looked like a hand there. I was uh, interested, of course, in 1970. Uh, he was really working in the island, but I called him in 1976. I actually talked to Dan Blankenship personally on the phone and asked him how things were going. And they said, well, they not much progress, but uh, would I like to invest in Oak Island? I said, well, send me some material and and I'll consider it. Well, I I never heard from him since. But the recent programs, the last uh, Tuesday nights, they have found some interesting artifacts. One is a Roman pilum, which is a spear point, iron spear point, which would actually dated uh, to the Roman period from uh, 100 B.C. to 400, 500 A.D. So... Now they're digging, they, they're putting in these uh, pylons and uh, di- digging into the very pit. And so it's just fascinating uh, what they're finding. Uh, some of the external research suggests that the uh, Knights Templar, uh, they found a lead cross uh, that would be associated with the Knights Templar. They found a French military emblem. They found jeweled uh, brooch. And years ago, they did find actually uh, pieces of gold in their drilling and bring it, bringing it back up. So there is treasure there. 
And, uh, but the, there is a legend that six men have died, and after the seventh one dies, they will finally find the treasure. And even the program last uh, Tuesday night, they were saying this, if the treasure is found, this will be the greatest event in all North American history. So you can uh, search that yourself. In fact, I wrote an article on it back in 1980, Hidden Treasure You Can Claim. So if you want to uh, Google that, just put, quote, Hidden Treasure You Can Claim, end of quote, and you'll find my article that was written uh, with the Worldwide Church of God. Since that time, there are many books have been written. This is called uh, The Big Dig by Darcy O'Connor, uh, written in uh, 1978 and then updated in 1988. It concludes the book this way. The last page in the book here, I can find it. Even if the big dig proves inconclusive, that will not be the end of the treasure hunt, for there will always be someone who will always be ready to match wits against the unknown genius who designed the Oak Island Enigma. That final chapter is yet to be written. And there have been several other books. One just came out four days ago, uh, which I might be interested in uh, uh, following up on, and it's called... The Curse of Oak Island, the story of the world's largest treasure hunt, or longest treasure hunt. Um, and that uh, came out December 11, 2018, Atlantic uh, Monthly Press. So people are still digging for treasures, and God has given us even treasure, much more valuable, even if what they find is worth billions and billions of dollars, it does not match the treasure that God has given us. The treasures God has given us are priceless. The title of the sermon today is True Treasures. God has given us treasures in his promises. He's given us golden guarantees that are sure. I call them uh, emeralds of encouragement as, as well. And uh, pearls of promise. Let's turn to Luke, the 16th chapter. Luke 16, Luke 16, and we'll start in verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, Are you a faithful steward over your possessions? If you are not faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So what is your special treasure? God wants us to have the true riches, the true treasures. I've asked several people, what is your true treasure, or what do you think is a special treasure? Uh, one young lady is a living education on-site student, uh, said the Holy Spirit and family. So give it a little thought. What is your special treasure? What's most important in your life? 
You turn to Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, we find out there are false treasures. As you know, King Solomon had it all. And he investigated, he worked, he built uh, built dams, he had singers, he had uh, orchestras. Uh, he was very productive. Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, and uh, verse 8. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of provinces, I acquired male and female singers, the delights of sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. And verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor, that I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. So verse 17, I therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. So his value system ended up in vanity, which is a definition of vanity could be anything that is not lasting. So when we're involved in activities that are vanity, what does that mean? It means that it's not contributing to your eternal character. Think about what you do. Remember is it, uh, Colossians 1.17 or uh, Ephesians one. Uh, about whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, whatever you do should be contributing to godly character. We have uh, sermons on that title. Mr. Rod McNair gave a sermon, All is Vanity or Is It? And we have several sermons on values, lasting values, recapture true values, and living values, and a sermon on uh, pride and vanity. Ecclesiastes 12, of course, Solomon finally gave us a lesson from all of his experimentation. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The NIV has fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. The King James Version. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You might turn back to uh, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15 and uh, verse uh, 16. So let's understand that much of what we've done, or I, you have to judge yourself in that matter, uh, how much of it has been vanity? In other words, has it detracted from eternal character, which required you to learn some lasting lessons, some painful lessons perhaps? Or have what you've done contributed to character that is part of who and what you are that is going to be a part of God's kingdom when you're born into the kingdom of God, that you have 
the character of the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace. That's a part of who you are and what you are. So Proverbs of Proverbs 15 and verse 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures with trouble. Than great treasure with trouble. Yes, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Uh, Moses was tempted with the false values. Turn to Hebrews, uh, the 11th chapter. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 33. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He could have had everything. He was being groomed to be a a pharaoh. But he chose, he could have had all the treasures of the great empire of Egypt. Of course, Joseph, God led him through many sufferings and trial, as the Romans 8.28 sermon brings out. Because things here, Joseph being sold as a slave at age 16 and was put in prison and for years. But finally, God, in spite of all of those trials and tests, had him become under Pharaoh, the ruler of the great Egyptian empire. But Moses made a choice. He voted in esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And there are many, many treasures in Egypt. And I've been to the Cairo Museum, and you'll see uh, some of the chariots and some of the gold and silver and artifacts there, and you've seen the um, exhibit of uh, the um, uh, some of the uh, the mummies of uh, Egypt that, uh, on on tour. But he looked for the reward. Verse 27, Hebrews 11. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So the world is full of counterfeit treasures that appeal to the eye and to the vanity of life. But uh, God indicted the nation of Israel because they sought those counterfeit treasures. Turn to Isaiah, the second chapter. Isaiah 2 and verse 7. Isaiah 2 and verse verse 7. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Actually, the subhead is the day of the Lord, so the context is the end time. There is no end to their treasure. The land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Every time we commute back and forth to uh, work, we see there's no end to the chariots. 
at a rush hour traffic time. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, which they have, which their own fingers have made. People bow down, and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. But he's talking about the land being full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. But they worship the work of their own hands. Mr. Rod McNair, in his sermon last week, warned us to beware of distractions. Because we can be distracted from the treasures of this world, the false treasures, the counterfeit treasures. We need to recapture true values. We need to recapture and seek true treasures. Understand that what we treasure most, what we value most, affects our very character, mind, and heart. That's mentioned in Matthew, the 12th chapter. What we treasure most and what we value most affects our very character, mind, and heart. Matthew 12 and verse 34. Talking to the Pharisees, Jesus said, Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. So you need to fill your heart with good treasures, true treasures, and pray for discernment that you might be able to identify the false treasures and counterfeits, the evil treasures, to reject those and embrace the true treasures. In the remainder of the sermon, let's identify or discuss five types of treasures. Some of them overlap. As, as like physical treasures overlap with spiritual treasures. But uh, let's take a look at that. Someone gave me this, uh, a whole book on Calvin and Hobbes uh, comic strips. This is titled, There's Treasure Everywhere. And it's uh, the first uh, cartoon series in the book. Um, is has uh, three frames. I'll just share it with you. You know, um, Hobbes is the tiger, and, uh, he's t- and, and here is Calvin. He's, he's digging for treasure, and he's got a big smile on his face. And uh, Hobbes says to uh, Calvin, why are you digging a hole? He, Calvin says, I'm looking for buried treasure. And then the second frame, uh, Hobbes says, what have you found? And Calvin says, a few dirt rocks, a weird root, and some disgusting grubs. And, and he's got this big smile. It looks like he's holding a worm here, some dust and grubs. And, and uh, so Hobbes kind of sarcastically says, on the first try, you've got all this treasure. But then he says what Calvin says, there's treasure everywhere. And it's interesting because when you we discuss all these treasures, in a sense, there is treasure everywhere if you understand what is God's treasure and what is false treasure. But he uh, comes up with this little little worm, and so there's treasure everywhere. You think, are worms treasure? 
We had the agricultural program in Big Sandy, Texas at Ambassador College in the 70s. Uh, the land had been overworked, and the soil was uh, basically sterile until our agricultural team there in Big Sandy at the college began to work with the soil. And what made the soil rich? What made the soil vibrant and productive? Earthworms. Earthworms may make and can change the whole soil system. The county agent came along. He was just amazed at the transformation that had taken care of the land. So, so maybe, maybe Calvin, Calvin is right. You know, there is treasure everywhere. But that begs the question on the whole ecosystem. When you, the whole design of what God has done, what's in the sea, what's in the land, what's in the atmosphere. Uh, if you have your church bulletin, I'm going to take a look at the news and prophecy area here on uh, this quotation and, and uh, summary from what is from the New York Times Magazine uh, last Sunday. In fact, uh, I had this before even the uh, bulletin came out. This is the New York uh, Times Magazine. The insect apocalypse is here. What will the decline of bugs mean for the rest of life on Earth? Uh, by Brooks Jarvis. So an apocalypse. So you might uh, read come excerpts here. Oh, wait a minute. The Insect Apocalypse. Now, the title of the recent New York Times Magazine article read like a stark announcement. The Insect Apocalypse is here. The article describes the devastating loss of insect populations around the globe in recent decades. According to research cited in the article, monarch butterfly populations in the United States have declined by 90% in the last 20 years. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, my wife and I were at uh, uh, near Santa Barbara. We saw a beautiful collection of monarch butterflies. To think that 90% have declined in that uh, 20 years. The rusty patch bumblebee has declined by 87% during the same period. In Germany, the number of flying insects in protected nature preserves where they should be abundant dropped by 75% in 27 years. Examples like this are, are frightening. And the bird population has dropped also. Eight in 10 partridges gone from French farmlands. 50 and 80 percent drops, respectively, for nightingales and turtle doves. And um, the world's uh, largest king penguin colony shrank by 88 percent in 35 years. Uh, more than 97 percent of the bluefin tuna that once lived in the oceans are gone. And I had another uh, excerpt from there that uh, was not included in that one. And... Uh, in China, they've, uh, the honeybees have disappeared. So here, what do they do with the apple orchards? Just uh, read this one section uh, from page 67 of the New York Times magazine. Scientists have tried to calculate the benefits that insects provide simply by going about their business in large numbers. Trillions of bugs flitting from flower to flower pollinate some three-quarters of our food crops a service worth as much as $500 billion every year. 
This doesn't count the 80% of wild flowering plants, the foundation blocks of life everywhere, that rely on insects for pollination. If monetary calculations like that sound strange, consider the Maxim Valley in China, where shortage of insects pollination pollinators have led farmers here to hire human workers at a cost of $19 per worker per day to replace honeybees. Each person covers five to ten trees a day, pollinating apple blossoms by hand. So here you have the fact that there are no bees to pollinate apple orchards, and in China you have to hire someone to pollinate by hand. It is uh, indeed an insect apocalypse. But on the other hand, we need to appreciate the whole ecosystem that God designed in the first place that's being destroyed to some extent by human beings. So what do you appreciate in the physical realm, in the universe? I walk outside my front door, and we have in our front walk a couple rose, two or three rose bushes. They're not in season right now, but when they are, Every day I walk out and I see the little rosebud, and to me it is just astounding. It's a, it's a miracle of creation, and then it blossoms out, and the, and the rose itself is, is such a thing of beauty. And I think of a dragonfly I see around my house, not, not in this season so much, and I've mentioned this before in a sermon, where if you take a video, and I did today, just check, just Google dragonfly video, the dragonfly has four wings, and each of those wings operates independently. The dragonfly can fly upside down. It's supposed to be the fastest flying insect in the world. It can hover like a helicopter. It can fly backwards. It can fly upside down. And, of course, uh, aviatic, uh, avionic engineers are studying uh, the uh, dragonfly for principles of improving aviation. But those are some of the things that inspire me. Well, take a look at James 1 and 17. What do you treasure as a physical possession? James 1, verse 17. Of course, one that I think you should all know by heart. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he begat us, or brought us forth in the New King James, begat in the King James, with the word of truth, that we might be a kind of fruits for first fruits of his creatures. So we understand that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. <clears throat> And Philippians 4.19, I won't turn there. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So God has given us those promises. He will provide our every need. Turn to Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 24. Ecclesiastes 2. Of course, we already saw that the Conclusion of the matter is to fear God and keep his commandments to the whole duty of man. In Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24, it says, 
Nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment more more than I? <laughs> Solomon said, uh, I've had it. I've had it all you. I've had the most exotic foods. No one can beat my experience in culinary cuisine. So God wants us to enjoy what, what he's created. And uh, I was, uh, last evening, I was up uh, Stairs in my study, and I I smelled this fragrance that was wafting up through the house. That my wife was cooking garlic to add to the kale. Oh, it was a wonderful fragrance. Uh, some of you may not enjoy it as much as I do, but God has put a, given us such wonderful items to food and drink. And if we've worked hard, that's part of our reward. That's part of our labor, as long as we don't covet it. And uh, misuse it because Jesus said he came that we might have life. And of course, that we might have it more abundantly in John 10 and verse 10. So what are the physical things that, that you enjoy? We take our Western standard of living for granted. We have electricity that machines do our work, the plumbing, the heating and air conditioning, transportation, technology, the instant communication. And we need to be thankful for Another dimension, and that is memories of our family. I was looking for my baby book. I couldn't find it the other day, but I know uh, it was very interesting what my mother wrote in there, that my first, the first sentence, what was the first sentence Richard ever said? Where is the ball? So I think that was uh, uh, kind of prescient because uh, I did like basketball and all the other sports along that line, but we have those special memories. We have a, a rocking chair in our family room that came from Dr. Meredith's home in 416 North Moffett Street in Joplin, Missouri. It's a rocking chair that was out in the back, cho- back porch. We've had it refinished. But some of those mementos give a family legacy, and they're, they're special. They're special treasures, and they're okay to have those special treasures. And there's some books, of course, that are special. I think one of them is uh, Raymond McNair's uh, book, Ascent to Greatness. Uh, I have a copy of it there in our home. It's uh, on eBay. It's selling for $78.99. Or you can get a better copy on discoverbooks.com for $150. But And even back in the Good News magazine, back in uh, December 1962, there was an article, Hidden Treasures in Your Own Home. Uh, the article offered for sale the 1965 Ambassador College Envoy for only $5. <clears throat> the sub said, subhead said, treasure your envoy. Open your envoy and see how much can be brought to mind to pray over as you search its pages. Take it to your prayer room at your first opportunity and make it the treasure it ought to be. Use it faithfully as a tool of prayer and it will grow in value to you daily. So one of the selling points of uh, the uh, envoy was the Feast of Tabernacles. And do you have fond memories of the Feast of Tabernacles? Yes, you can treasure memories. I treasure the memories of my first Feast of Tabernacles in Big Sandy in 1961. My first meeting with 
Dr. Meredith talking about uh, should I apply to Ambassador College and to be with the uh, campers out in the campground. Back then, that was 1961. Later in 1972, we had the largest camp uh, campground ever. We had uh, 15,000 people attended the Feast of Tabernacles in Big Sandy, Texas in 1972. We had, out of the 15,000, 9,000 were camping on the Ambassador College grounds. We had captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, captains of tens. Uh, God's government uh, worked fairly well. Of course, they were still human beings and still had problems. But we still have fond memories. We've had the uh, LYC uh, yearbook, and some of you have seen uh, some of your children and the uh, campsites. So are you thankful for your physical possessions? But we have a warning in Psalm 62, if you'll turn to Psalm 62, God gives us one warning. We can appreciate the physical blessings that he gives us. But here, Psalm 62. Psalm 62, verse 10. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So God wants us to be Faithful stewards of what he's given us. Uh, Proverbs 27, uh, verse 23. Proverbs 27, uh, verse 23. We have a responsibility to care for the treasures and the blessings God has given us. Proverbs 27, verse 23. Be, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. So what do you have in your house? I read an article uh, we had uh, actually pasted on our wall for a while. Go shopping in your own closet. <laughs> Sometimes we have uh, treasures in our own home that we don't realize until we go looking around. But uh, what is the state of your finances? What is the state of your home maintenance? What is the state of your clothing? Proverbs 27, verse 23. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. We have a sermon, Are You a Faithful Steward? Might turn to that in Luke 12 and verse 42. Luke 12 and verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So are you a faithful steward over the blessings that God has given us? We're just considering five types of special treasures. The first one is physical blessings. Treasure the physical blessings and possessions that God has given you. Avoid covetousness, which is idolatry. It tells us in Colossians 3 and verse 5. But use your physical possessions to God's honor and to God's glory. Be diligent and a faithful steward and seek true physical treasures, not the false and worldly ones. The second type of Treasure 
it said, I overlaps with the first one, is the treasures of creation. Psalm 19, verse 1. I won't turn there, you know that. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Tomorrow's World Magazine, we have a feature, most uh, magazines, most editions, the works of His hands. Um, it's mainly written by Mr. Wally Smith. The current for one is uh, singing Caterpillars. I hope you've uh, read that by Mr. Stuart, Stuart Wahovich, uh, demonstrating the fallacy of evolution. And I hope you all saw Mr. Weston's telecast last week on evolution on trial. Uh, he demonstrated the awesome intelligence behind the creation. There's powerful evidence demonstrating the fallacies of evolution and the solid proof of creation. And, of course, Mr. Wally Smith's sermon just two weeks ago uh, over at the Residence uh, Suites Hotel uh, is evolution of fact. And, again, he gave overwhelming evidence to the fallacy of evolution. But what intrigues you about God's creation? Uh, Calvin was impressed with the grub or the earthworm he found, saying there's treasure everywhere. Recently I was, uh, I was looking out my office window and I just was impressed with the blue sky and the wind was blowing the, the trees, so I wrote, wrote a little poem. I love the flowing breeze and dancing leaves, glorious sky blue above green trees, revealing a love so intensely true, giving our lives a way to renew. In endless space, humbling the human race, yet comforting our lives with amazing grace. So what is it about the creation that impresses you? Romans 1.20, again, we can turn there, but had that uh, quoted in the sermon last week and in the telecast. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So the world is out ex without excuse because God has made his presence and his existence known by the very creation itself. When you think about the galaxies, the two trillion galaxies, we had the uh, telecast on our mysterious universe, which also had the Spanish uh, voiceover on it. And God's master plan, the sermon, how time began. What treasures do you appreciate in God's creation? There's a song that I'll uh, give, share the words to. I won't try singing it, but it's, it's so true. You don't have to spend millions or well, however many millions are spending in digging in Oak Island, drilling holes, and they've got down to the uh, flood pit, they, uh, the, one of the flood tunnels, and uh, next Tuesday we're supposed to see that they're going to drill another uh, hole that's going to be closer to the, the money pit. Well, of course, they've been doing that for decades, but we'll see what happens. You don't have to spend money for the treasures God gives. And so the song goes this way. The best things in life are free. The moon belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. 
The stars belong to everyone. They gleam there for you and me. The flowers in spring, the robins that sing, the sunbeams that shine, they're yours, they're mine. And love can come to everyone. The best things in life are free. I turn to Job, the 38th chapter, and see another of the treasures of the creation. Job and uh, the 38th chapter. So God is talking to Job out of the whirlwind, remember, and talking about various facets of his creation. He'd already talked about the ostrich and how God had deprived it of wisdom, but he says in this case, Job 38, verse 21. Job 38, verse 21. Do you know it? Because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? No, God is challenging Job. He thought he knew not everything, but he knew quite a bit. Have you entered the treasury of snow? Or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? Oh, God says he used snow and hail as part of his uh, weapons in, in war. So open your eyes, consider the vastness of the universe and the awesome information that is on DNA. Uh, Mr. Weston's telecast on uh, evolution on trial. He quoted from Bill Bryson's book, A Short History of Nearly Everything. And it's just such a wonderful quote. I'll share it again with you here. And as an evolutionist, Bill Bryson had to almost admit uh, that uh, these two independent um, complex systems could not have evolved simultaneously to support each other. Now, this is the quote from page 289. Even having achieved this structural complexity, a protein is no good to you if it can't reproduce itself and proteins can't. For this you need DNA. DNA is a whiz at replicating. It can make a copy of itself in seconds, but can do virtually nothing else. So we have a paradoxical situation. Proteins can't exist without DNA, and DNA has no purpose without protein. Are we to assume then that they arose simultaneously with the purpose of supporting each other? If so, wow! <laughs> it's impossible that two complex uh, systems could evolve simultaneously and have to be dependent on each other. It's impossible. But he can't admit that. He just, all he can say is wow. <laughs> oh. So two weeks ago, again, in Mr. Smith's sermon, it's evolution of fact, also demonstrating, again, the overwhelming evidence of the fallacy of evolution. Isaiah 40, let's turn there to Isaiah 40, and verse 26. Isaiah 40 is a wonderful chapter on God's creation. We won't, uh, could read the whole, whole chapter, but verse 26 of uh, Isaiah 40 it says uh, lift up your eyes on high 
And behold, who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. So God knows all of the two trillion galaxies. He knows, can name every astro body that exists. He knows every electron, every molecule, and he knows every hair on our heads. Uh, he is infinite, but he is also love. And he also rules supreme. So we're thankful for that. So treasure number two, appreciate the treasury of God's creation. Treasury number three, the treasure of human beings. Human beings are made in the image of God. You know, Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Uh, turn to uh, Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 14. Deuteronomy 14, treasure human beings made in God's image. Deuteronomy 14 and verse 2, For you are a holy people to the eternal your God, and the eternal has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So God said there's a special treasure. You, the nation of Israel, are a special treasure. Of course, they forfeited that particular position, and God now has the Israel of God. God's church is the special treasure. We are now the Israel of God. As you read in Galatians, about around 6.16, I believe it is. So we are God's special treasure. You know, I was asking my wife, um, I didn't give any any context. I just said, well, what what is uh, your special treasure? And uh, she surprised me. She said, well, you wanted clarification about spiritual or physical treasure. But then she just said, you are a treasure to me. Wow. That's what my wife said to me. You are a treasure to me. Ah, thank you. <laughs> no, I hope that, that we are treasures to each other and we love one another. You realize that human beings are treasure, and of course that's the second great commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you're familiar with Philippians 2, but let's turn there. As we treasure one another, we treasure human beings. Philippians, the second chapter. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. If nothing be done let, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Yes, you treasure others better than yourselves. You value others better than yourself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also on the interests of others. But as we love one another, we need to make sure that we have the proper perspective and relationships because Jesus gave us this warning, I turn to Matthew, the 10th chapter, Matthew 10. You have this warning from him, but it's also a loving relationship. 
We still love one another. We still treasure one another. But there's a matter of degree. Matthew 10 and verse 37. Matthew 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So yes, we honor our father and mother, we love our father and mother, we love our children, we love our brothers and sisters, but we love Christ more. Uh, just uh, two days ago, Thursday, Mr. Weston gave the Living Education Assembly uh, lessons from his own life. And he said, when he was facing the disruption of the church, people were told him, you don't, don't go with the, the global church of God. And so his friends were pressuring him along that line and he had to come to a crossroads of making a decision. But he realized that Dr. Meredith was preaching the truth and he was doing God's work. And so he understood that the priority was not your friends. The priority is the truth. And, of course, we need to make sure this has been the problem of the world, probably with our younger generation, because peer pressure is so influential, so powerful to some of our children. And you, young, young adults and teenagers, need to make that decision in your own life. What is your great priority? Is it your friends that are going to make a decision for you? Or have you decided that you are going to seek God's truth through the Bible and that God's way and God's word is priority in your life? And that's treasure. God's word is more treasure than your friends. Yes, they're still treasures. But you can't let them lead you astray. I was talking to one living education student and uh, he was mentioning along this line that he grew up uh, listening to Dr. Meredith. And the one thing that impressed him as a teenager, as a young person growing up, that Dr. Meredith would always say, well, don't believe me just because I say it. Believe it because it's in your own Bible. And so he's still with us today because he realizes my decisions have to be made not just on what a, a person says apart from the Bible, but what a person says according to the Bible. Mr. Weston emphasized the foundation uh, to the students in the assembly Thursday. Of course, proving that God is, proving the Bible is God's word, but also knowing what the Bible says, knowing what God instructs us to do. And we have a special relationship with our Creator. He quoted Hebrews 11.6, But with faith, without faith it's impossible to please Him. But he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I hope that you are diligently seeking God. Yes, human beings are special treasures. And Dr. Meredith wrote, and I've given you this quote several times before, it's certainly made an impression on my mind. It was from a co-worker letter in 2005, October 10th. He was talking about disasters that had happened in Bangladesh. 
He says, even as I write, radio and television reports tell us that tens of thousands of human beings have perished in the powerful earthquake which just struck uh, Pakistan and parts of India. Perhaps none of these people were truly acquainted with God, with the God of the Bible. But every human being is precious in God's sight. Every human being is precious in God's sight. So when you see a beggar on the street, you might tend to, you know, disregard him. But you realize that person has a potential of being in the God's family, if not in this age, in the age to come. So who do you value as, as human beings? Edgar Guest is, again, one of my favorite uh, poets, and uh, in his book, A Heap of Living Along Life's Highway. And this is called uh, Treasures. The title of the poem is Treasures. Some folks I know when friends drop in to visit for a while and chin. Just lead them around the rooms and halls and show them pictures on their walls and point to rugs and tapestries, the works of men across the seas. Their loving cups they show with pride to eyes that soon are stretching wide with wonder at the treasures rare that have been brought and gathered there. But when folks come to call on me, I've no such things for them to see. No pictures on my wall is great. I have no ancient family plate, no, tap, tap, no tapestry of rare design, or costly woven rug, rugs are mine. I have no loving cup to show, or strange or valued curio. But if my treasures they would see, I bid them swiftly follow me. And then I lead them up the stairs, through trains of cars and teddy bears, and to a little room we creep, where both my youngsters lie asleep, close locked in one another's arms. I let them gaze upon their charms. I let them see the legs of brown curled up beneath a sleeping gown and whisper in my happiness, Behold the treasures I possess. Talk to his little children as being treasures. But again, Christ said you need to love him more than you love anyone. And remember that God said to Israel that they were his special treasures. But let's turn to Malachi, the third chapter, Malachi 3, and we realize that, yes, God pictures us as his special treasure. Malachi 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Verse 17, Malachi 3. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So God, again, has called us his jewels, He called Israel his special treasure, and now spiritual Israel. The Israel of God is God's special treasure. So treasure your family. Love your neighbors as yourself. Treasure human beings made in God's image. Even praying for your enemies, as we're told in Matthew 4, 5, verse 44. 
And remember, as Dr. Meredith said, every human being is precious in God's sight. So treasure good memories. Treasure other human beings, but treasure also good memories. I also mentioned uh, the memory that I had back in uh, 1961, my my first uh, Feast of Tabernacles. God tells us to remember many times. We might turn to Deuteronomy 9. He tells us to remember. We need to have good memories and treasure good memories. Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Uh, You've probably heard sermonettes or sermons on remembering and uh, I don't know how many times in the Bible God tells us to remember, but it's many, many times. Deuteronomy 9 and verse 6. Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember, do not forget how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord in wrath, so the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. They should have learned the lessons from the correction that God gave them, uh, from the painful suffering, because as you sow, so shall you reap. You need to learn those lessons. I think we have a, a sermon titled, Lasting Lessons of Suffering. Lasting Lessons of Life, also a sermon along that title. So God says we need to remember and uh, Jesus <laughs> told the, I won't take the time, but remember his disciples were looking for food. You know, what Jesus said, uh, now that's Matthew 16, 5. When the disciples come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? So do you remember miracles in your life? There have been some people who have been healed miraculously by God, not once, but twice and still left the church because they did not remember or internalize the awesome lesson that God was giving them. <clears throat> and we have John fourteen twenty six, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said unto you. So treasure memories. I know... My wife was remembering her first December 25th when she began teaching an imperial school in Pasadena. She was on the front patio of Ambassador College Library overlooking the city of Pasadena on December 25th, and she heard the chimes resonating from the city, and she thought, I am free. I am free from the deceptions of Christmas. We thank Mr. Lyons for the sermonette. But it's a, it's a memory that she had, a good memory. 
We know John 8.32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So treasure good memories. I remember Dr. Lynn Torrance, when his wife died, he was very upset and was struggling with the loss of his wife, and he gave a sermonette the auditorium in Pasadena, California, one time that really helped him comfort. He said, what has helped me at the loss of my wife and comforted me is thinking of the good memories of our lives together. So he could remember good memories that helped comfort him. So treasure good memories, but also treasure and remember the lessons you've learned through a lifetime of trials and blessings. Treasure number four, good memories. Treasure number five is special treasures, spiritual treasures. We already read Matthew 13, 44. Again, you might want to turn back there to Matthew 13. When you think of Matthew 13, you think of the parables and why Jesus spoke in parables. Matthew 13 And verse 44, the parable of the hidden treasure we read earlier. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Then there's a parable that follows, the parable of the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found the one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so I'm sure that most, if not all of us, have come to that point in life where we recognize what is the pearl of great price. What is the treasure that's hidden in the field? It's the coming kingdom of God. And God has given us that calling. I asked several, what is your special treble? Treasure. They said, my calling is a special treasure. God has called us to be a part of his royal family, to be kings and priests. He's given us also the gift of healing. And, of course, I hope you've been watching Mr. Rod McNair's series on faith and healing, uh, the Wednesday night Bible studies. So God has given us those special spiritual blessings, and, of course, they overlap with some of the physical blessings. We're called to be God's children. We're called to do God's work. We're called to become kings and priests. We have the sermon uh, a couple months ago, Your Identity and Your Calling. And another sermon, Who are the Saints of God? So we are also heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, as it tells us in Romans 8 and verse 17. And we're going to inherit the kingdom, going to inherit the earth, going to inherit salvation, going to inherit eternal life. And God gives us exceeding great and precious promises. That's Second Peter 1. I'm going to turn there to Second Peter 1. What an absolute blessing God gives us. And it isn't, you talk about treasures. What is Exciting. What is valuable? What is the price tag on all these treasures? And um, grace and peace be multiplied to you. First, Second Peter one verse two. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, 
as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Think about that. Has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's spiritual treasure right there. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us some promises. No, exceedingly great and precious, valuable promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There's so many promises that God gives us. We already mentioned Philippians 4.19, My God shall provide all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I won't go through all the promises I've given you before, but just to mention one of my favorites, Psalm 37.4, that uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not only your need, but godly desires. And I mentioned how I waited 17 years to go to Jerusalem, which was a desire of my heart, and prayed for that. And he promises us to endure trials in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. He has promised us the Holy Spirit. But how do we claim those promises We come boldly before God's thrones, it tells us in Hebrews 4 and verse 16. So God has given us treasure upon treasure. All those things that pertain to life, he's given us. So we need to seek those treasures. Turn to Proverbs 2, verse 1. Proverbs 2. And come boldly before God's throne to claim those promises. Proverbs 2. My son... If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We need to seek God with all our heart. Give those hidden treasures, the true treasures that God gives us. They have to be faithful stewards over the mammon that he gives us. So let's recapture the true values. Let's set our heart on the true riches. Avoid the false counterfeit riches of the world. And always seek the treasures of truth. And remember that you are God's special treasure. And as members of God's royal family, we need to dedicate ourselves to always seek the true riches and the true treasures.